I was still a kid Childish, childish This all freaks me out a bit Hey, after you drop off the kids or put them to bed, turn on Childish with real-life friends and podcasting virtuosos Greg Fitzsimmons and Allison Rosen Laugh about the struggles and joys of parenthood Grow closer to your children Learn something useful or not Maybe feel less alone And maybe even put the spark back into your love life Childish is for people who are parents Or had parents If you had no parents Maybe check out WTF with Mark Marin. Subscribe to Childish New episodes coming soon wherever you listen to podcasts Childish, oh shit Last time I checked I was still a kid Childish, childish This all freaks me out a bit Childish, oh shit How can I parent when I'm still a kid Childish, oh shit Hey everyone, hi, hello, it is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I am sitting here with a hair in my mouth. I got it. I am sitting here with Cole Stratton, improviser, comedian, actor, cat dad, guy who collects old movie posters, it seems, guy with cool glasses, and also co-director, co-founder, and perhaps something else even, of SF Sketchfest. Hello and welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Of course. Did I describe your role in Sketchfest correctly? Yeah, pretty much. Co-founder, co-director. Co-producer, right? Co-producer, yeah. There's basically me, Janet Varney, and David Owen founded it and kind of you know, are at the helm of it. But mm-hmm. there's a ton of people now that kind of help out and stuff like that because it's kind of grown into this massive beast right but uh yeah yeah that's my role i don't know if i know david owen do you feel like you're more dominant than david owen because i know you <laughs> uh and i'm a little more laid back oh really yeah to be honest he's more dominant i would say so is he more alpha <laughs> man maybe who's like okay of you david and janet who's the bossiest oh god it's hard to say i'm i have to say i'm joking i did uh I mean, I wasn't joking, but I have to say, like, I don't think of any of you guys as bossy. I did Sketchfest last year, had the best time. I've done a few different festival type things, and my experience at Sketchfest was like the mo- the easiest, the most seamless. The I was just so impressed with how you guys do it. You guys got all the information that everyone needed to them ahead of time it's real. i'm just really impressed with how Thanks. you guys run it because oftentimes festivals are not like that yeah i think it the reason it's worked as well as it has for we're going into our 18th year now which is insane um is because we started as performers so dave janet and i were all in a sketch group with mm-hmm. gabe gianni uh called totally false people and so we kind of knew what we wanted from a performer aspect and the festival was founded with five other local groups we rented a theater for a month called it a festival kind of that just to have a place to do something and then it kind of grew from there so we kind of know what we wanted on that side of thing, like what a performer wants. Right. But then it helps that we all kind of have good business minds and we're pretty organized and stuff. So mm-hmm. we're good at that side of it. Cause I find that a lot of these other festivals, it's either one or the other. Right. <laughs> like they're not good at like understanding how to get, make sure people get to the places they need to get to making sure the show start on time, all that kind of stuff, but they're fun and they're good for, you know, the performers, but then the flip side of it, 
it happens both ways, I think. Right. Is it overwhelming for you? Because I know that when I did Bumbershoot, and I also had a great time at Bumbershoot, but that was my, was that my first thing like that? I don't know. Um, but I had like, I was doing three different shows. I was three shows on three different days and I had a bunch of guests arriving and it was raining and I didn't quite know the layout of the venue and they had to go to a certain place to get their wristbands. And I felt like I, I was like, my own tour manager which yeah. is I, I never want to be and I just remember the first night in the hotel just being like I can't wait till this is over like I feel <laughs> so stressed over like will this person be able to pick up their badge at a certain time and da 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 like <clears throat> is and you're doing that on a huge level like is that overwhelming it yeah completely so I mean there's 270 shows I think this year over 18 days so we'll probably have a thousand performers when it's said and done. If you count like every improv and sketch group that come that have a dozen people in it, right. but still even so like just headliner wise, there's over like 600 of them. So it's a lot to manage. Um, I think that's the main thing is when we first started it, like everything was super analog and old school. So we just like had a big office depot pad that we put, a post-it notes on to figure out who's performing where and then uh i moved to los angeles like after the second year of the festival and then janet followed like six months later or something and then thankfully at that time it was starting to be acceptable to do you know conference calls and emails and big google docs and stuff so now it's a little easier to be kind of spread out and do things virtually which is helpful um but yeah it's a lot to to organize for sure Mm -hmm. and we still like janet and i still go and do a lot of other festivals as performers doing improv and stuff so it's hard for us to turn the producer like brain off when we're there because like we'll see things like oh it's so great that's we should you know do that or we'll be like ooh, they need to work on this kind of thing so um it's definitely good to go out on the road and kind of see how everybody else is doing it right um i should say I did love my experience at Bumbershoot once I calmed down. So, lest any Bumbershootians be listening to me, I appreciate my time there. I did have a good time. I just felt stressed the first day. Um, I forgot to mention, you're also podcaster who right now has one, a podcast with Janet Varney, a limited series podcast on Audible called The Bat Improv in the Dark. Yeah. Tell right. me about that. What is what does darkness bring to improv? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's an old it's basically an old improv form called the bat that people would do periodically, usually like at Halloween or things like that too, where you just turn off all the lights mm-hmm. everywhere and so everybody's sitting in darkness including the performers and it's just more of an audio experience. And so it allows you it gives you total freedom in my opinion because like there's no visuals happening here right. so you can do the most fantastical things you want to do. Um, so it kind of came out of like Audible's been our presenting sponsor the last couple years. And so a few years ago we were trying to think of things we could do that would lend themselves well to audio to do live at the festival mm-hmm. and i had pitched the idea of a bat we didn't get around to doing it but then after the festival uh jim our producer was like would you want to develop this so we did we started by doing it live at the west side comedy theater to kind of get a feel for it and recorded a test episode and then it went pretty well so then we started doing actual episodes at west side and also one at Sketchfest last year where it's me and janet and four guest improvisers who are all great heavy hitters of improv um sitting down and getting a suggestion from the audience and then just winging stuff completely in the dark. Mm-hmm. And then after the fact, Audible went in and sweetened it up with some like sound effects and some atmosphere and some music stuff to even make build the world out a little more. Nice. So, so who are some of the heavy hitters? Oh, man. Um, it's really good. Hopefully I won't forget people. Uh, <laughs> Gary Anthony Williams, who's amazing. Tawny Newsome, Oscar Nunez, John Michael Higgins, um, uh, Edie Patterson, Brian Husky, Seth Morris... Um, I'm sure there are others that I'm forgetting. Phil Lamar, mm-hmm. it's it was great. Stephanie Courtney, 
Um, a lot of great people. And what was your own experience? Or, I mean, I guess you, you've done bats before. Like, what is your experience of doing it in the dark? I think it's pretty fun. I mean, I wouldn't want to do it all the time. But, <laughs> but it's interesting. I mean, it's harder because you can't see each other. You can't make eye contact. Are you guys just sitting in chairs? We're sitting in chairs, kind of in a line with microphones. Um, so we can hear that. But... Uh, we can't see each other at all. It's hard to get total darkness for, for safety reasons and things right. too. So you can kind of see people's silhouettes a little bit, but that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. So you will kind of step on each other's lines a little bit and it's a little harder to kind of connect in some ways. Um, but you kind of get used to it pretty quick. And then you got to realize it's all audio. So you really kind of have to explain things without it being kind of heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Um, like how? Like, you know, I don't want to be like, he walks over and... <laughs> take whatever you got to try to do like oh here's your hat you know whatever like in a way that it's understandable that action is happening yeah um but you know you can kind of envision it that way right so you are in a bunch of different improv groups yeah um i actually had the pleasure of being the guest monologist at um oh my god don't tell me oh my god hell a theme park yep yes that was super fun. Um, and I know that you do improv regularly all over the place. What is your, like, when did you start doing improv? I started when I was 12 years old. Oh, wow. So I've been doing it for 30 years now, which is funny because I tell people that and they think I'm joking because somebody be like, oh, I've been doing improv for five years and they feel like a veteran. I'm like, well, I've been doing it for 30, so yeah. <laughs> I should be better at it by now. Um, but I started when I was 12 in a, there was a class that I grew up in Davis, California mm-hmm. near Sacramento and the SARTA, which is the Sacramento area regional theater Alliance offered like improv for teens. And I was doing a lot of like community theater, musical theater and stuff growing up. So I thought that sounded fun. I didn't know anything about improv. So I went and took it. Uh, I was taught by Buck Busfield, Timothy Busfield's brother. They own the B street theater in Sacramento. And it just kind of like clicked for me. It was just something that I was like, Oh, I like this. I'm mm-hmm. good at this. This is fun. And, um, he put together like a little, all-star group from his students that were doing like shows Saturday at a mall in Sacramento. So I did some of those. What was that like? It was weird. It was mostly like short formy games and things like that mm-hmm. too, but it was just, it was different. It was, it was an experience that I hadn't had in comedy at all. Right? I haven't really done much in comedy period that way. I feel like at a mall is like, I mean, it worked for Tiffany, but it's an unusual right. venue. <laughs> yeah, it definitely was like a little weird stage in a corner of this mall in Sacramento. Like in front of like the athlete's foot or something. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, we're close to Lady Foot Locker, so that was good. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was fun and it kind of ignited something in me. And then after that, I started just, I was the guy that knew how to do improv in my drama classes in high school and mm-hmm. junior high. And stuff, so I would teach them improv exercises and warm ups and stuff. And then thankfully in Davis, there's like a long standing t- improv team at the high school at Davis High called Core, Improv Core that Dave Burmester taught that was kind of a combination of like doing a Herald and also doing short form stuff. So it already had that tradition. So I did it there. And then when I went to San Francisco for college, I went to SF state and started a short form group in the dorms there called small chicken. Um, and then just kind of kept doing it from there. Did it at cops comedy club once a week, the end of a showcase and just always kept doing it. Can you explain for listeners who might not know the difference between long form and short form improv, what that is? Sure. Short form's more, it's gamey stuff. It's kind of like, like whose line. line. Yeah, just like that. There's, They tend to be like five minutes-ish per game. It's different rules and regulations and stuff. Whereas long form is a little more organic. It's a little more take a suggestion and play for a while. It's, it's slower developing. Um 
it can be a longer piece it can be whatever they're they're two i like them both to be honest there's a weird like rivalry and improv of like short form versus long form i just think it's a different muscle Mm -hmm. i think it's harder to do each one well it just depends on in short form you have to get to the joke pretty quickly the audience will not indulge you world building or character building whereas in long form you have more time to do that but it's also more rewarding when you you know really build things out so i just i think both are great it's just you have to learn the ins and outs of each to make them good for you right do you have a do you have a preference if you had to choose i think i think long form now but i came out of short form so like i have a big love for that and i'm in a uh, a show called mission improbable that plays twice a month or actually it's every friday and saturday but we have about two shows a month each um at the theater which is like short form games missions so to speak so mm-hmm. i still get to do that on the regular along with all the impro- the long form improv i'm doing so it's good right so you started at 12. Um, what was your childhood like? Um, I grew up in Michigan when I was really little. Moved out when I was nine to Davis. Um, Why? Was, uh, my mom worked at Michigan State, and she got basically the same job but doubled the pay at UC Davis. So we uprooted and moved to Beverly. What did say. she do? Uh, she was director of public communications, mm-hmm. So, uh, which actually, in retrospect, really helped me with everything I'm doing in Sketchfest because she's really good at the public facing stuff and press releases and all sorts of stuff like that too. So, um, so yeah, I did that. And then my dad was really big into comedy and stuff too. So he raised me up on, you know, all the greats and all the, you know, comedian records and, um, all the shows and movies and stuff. And I was kind of, I I call myself a kid of HBO. Like I was raised by HBO in a lot of ways. So I have a lot of affection and affinity for the movies that played at nauseum on HBO when I was little in the eighties and nineties and stuff. So, a lot of uh, movies like Girls Just Want to Have Fun mm. and Cloak and Dagger and stuff that were on basically every 10 minutes. I've seen a million times and still Do love. you remember, my first memory of HBO is um, getting like a something in the mail, I think, which said what HBO was offering. And there was this movie called, I think it was called Angel. It wasn't Angel Heart, but it was like... Angel, is that like student by day, stripper by yes. night thing? Yeah, yeah. I, I used to that. prostitute by night. Prostitute by night, yeah. Yeah. That was HBO. <laughs> the poster I never saw was it, the poster I, was like a split screen of yes. her one where she's got books and she's like in a schoolgirl outfit yeah. and one where she's like the big in, teased out eighties totally hair and, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. There was no point in me bringing that up other than it's uh, an early HBO memory. <laughs> HBO Carry was on. a big selling point. I just remember like when you would go by a motel or a hotel and it was like HBO in room and you're like yeah. oh score we got to stay here <laughs> this know. is luxury. <laughs> what did your dad do? Uh, he played in bands in the seventies and stuff. So he kind of was descended of being like the stay at home mom, so to speak. So he kind of was home and doing that stuff when my mom was like out working at the universities. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. And then later on he used, he does teaching and stuff too, substitute teacher and things mm-hmm. and taught English and drama and things like that too. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Do you have siblings? I have one brother. Yeah. He's Older, three, younger? Three years younger. He's uh, he lives in LA as well. He's in a band called state to state. He's like the singer and primary songwriter and lead mm-hmm. guitarist and stuff like that too. So uh, we're all sort of in the arts in one way or another. Right. Um, so when you went to San Francisco State, what were you studying? Cinema. Because I was really big into movies. I worked at video stores forever while I was going to college and stuff before that too. But then I kind of realized early on that like, I mean, I was an actor too, that in acting like either you get a role or you don't. Mm-hmm. And 
filmmaking at the time especially it was super expensive because you weren't shooting on video yet you're shooting on you know film and i remember shooting a short seven minute film and it cost me like five thousand dollars or something <laughs> and then for when i got into advanced film production it was like you're gonna have to do one that's 20 minutes and it's gonna cost you thirty thousand dollars i was like yeah i don't have that kind of money i'm not gonna raise it because i don't care that much anymore so interesting i kind of moved out of that and i was just getting more and more into acting um and i also wasn't interested in like going up the ladder of like you know interning for free and rolling cable and all sorts of stuff like that too it's really interesting because i feel like the trajectory for a lot of people is they want to be a performer and then they realize they would rather be behind the scenes but you went the other way around totally the other way yeah my thought too was like well if i make it as an actor then maybe one day i can direct my own stuff or whatever Mm -hmm. and pull a robert redford that kind of thing right um so my my degree is technically in cinema with an emphasis in direction so Mm -hmm. doing a lot with that (laughs) But, (laughs) but i have it so so then after san francisco and did you meet janet there i did yeah we uh janet barney janet barney david owen and i were roommates we met in college um in the dorm and the then dominant alpha that's David right Owen. that's right <laughs> we moved <laughs> we moved to a apartment complex that was like right across the street from campus because we were in dorms for like a year and it sucked and you know it's dorms so um that's how we knew each other and then we went to a screening at the castro theater of stop making sense and the talking heads were there and they hadn't been there altogether in a long time because there's all that weird history so afterwards they you know spoke and stuff together it was rad it was totally sold out and people were like dancing in the aisles and stuff um but we met janet there because a friend of ours alexander she was dating at the time and he came with her and so we all sat together and all kind of met from that thing and then started that sketch team together was that like the from the time you met how long did it take to decide to start a sketch team together I think we were already in the process of starting one and Alexander was kind of a big part of that. Mm -hmm. And so there was like seven or eight people in it initially. And then it sort of people fell off till there was four when we kind of all figured out who worked well together and other people that weren't really that interested in it or whatever. And so I would say that like within a couple months we had something going. Mm -hmm. And even then it was like just thinking back at how different sketch was back then. It's, you know, when things were more analog, you know, you'd print out as many copies of the, sketch you wrote as you possible to hand them out so everybody could read them and just wasted so much paper um and you didn't have video content really um right. if you did it was like a big production it was a big thing because now i feel like sketch teams use that for transitions they film a bunch of stuff and then shoot that while they do their costume changes then it was just blackout play rock music until you're ready and that kind of thing mm-hmm. uh two, well two questions you decide what order to answer them in okay when did the idea for Sketchfest come about? And then also, when did you move down here? So Sketchfest, it basically came out of San Francisco is a great town for arts, but it didn't really have a place for sketch comedy because it's such a weird, people don't know what it is. Even now, people don't know what it is. Journalists don't know what it is mm-hmm. when they're interviewing us. Like, like there's a big thing for sketch performers is like, we hate it if you call it skits. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not homecoming. You know, that, that whole thing. We hate that. Yeah. So like, that's... You always have to say, like, sketch, you know, like Saturday Night Live or Kids in the Hall or Monty Python. Mm-hmm. That's when they go, oh, okay, I know what you're talking about. But as an art, people don't really understand what it is still to this day. So there wasn't really places for sketch groups to perform, so to speak. If you did it at a comedy club, people were confused by it. They're just, what is this? Um, right. In fact, we did we did it in uh, Gabe's mom at the time um, was the owner of Rooster Tea Feathers in uh, Sunnyvale. So we did a show where we did some sketches on it. And then somebody called and complained and left a message saying, I don't know what they were doing. Some sort of <laughs> skit acting. I remember that. So 
<laughs> um, so that's the kind of thing where like, there's nowhere to do this. Mm-hmm. And there was, you could rent a theater, but you couldn't rent it for a night. You had to rent it for like a month mm-hmm. or something. So we decided like, well, what if we rented a theater for a month, did shows all weekend long, called it a sketch comedy festival, and then you split it between us and these other groups that were in a similar situation. Casper uh, Hauser, Please Leave the Bronx, White Noise Radio Theater, um, the Meehan Brothers, and then us. Um, so we thought, okay, well, we could try that. And Fresh Robots as well. And mm-hmm. the, the people in these groups have gone on to like pretty big things like Beth right. Lissick, W. Kamal Bell, Al Madrigal, um, X. Beagle McCallamay, and all these people were in this thing originally. Can I stop you and ask a question? When yep. you were getting that reaction of people not understanding sketch, was that discouraging or like did you have this sense that this is the town's problem well sunnyvale's like a good outskirt of san francisco too so i feel like it was just like we were hitting kind of the podunk and they didn't really get what we were doing okay um i think san francisco itself is a little more you know understanding when it comes to that kind of stuff right um but there was a couple like little offshoot venues that like you could do sketch in but like there's one called the the mock theater mock Mm. cafe that was fine but there's a giant beam in the middle of the room it's so hard to see around um so we just kind of wanted a proper place to do it Mm -hmm. um i think that's kind of what it came out of what was the name of that theater uh the shelton theater it's still it's in union square which is like a good high like traffic area right um it's 70 seats 75 seats something like that so we rented that all of us kind of split the bill on it and um the chronicle back when print mattered uh (laughs) ran a big story and uh, on a thursday date book cover and stuff and then we just kind of had you guys solicited that coverage I don't remember how we got it, to be honest. I think we had submitted something somewhere mm-hmm. and somebody bit because it was different. And we also chose January. I think that was a huge smart move for us because there's not much happening arts wise in January. Mm-hmm. December, everybody's doing their holiday productions and there's just like a fighting for coverage. Right. But January is a little sleepier. And somehow we had figured that out. I think it was mostly because the theater was available. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just chose that time and it was helpful because there wasn't a lot of competition. Whereas we, I think we would have sunk if we had done it some other right. times. Um, what year was that? 2002, January 2002. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, everything just kind of sold out, So which is cool. So we basically had two, two teams a night, each doing a 45-minute set with an intermission. And then the last week, and we're just Thursday through Sunday on all these. The last week we did like kind of cabaret style where every all six teams did 15-minute sets. So that kind of stuff with local stand-ups hosting. Um, and just kind of blew up and even people were like scalping tickets which is weird because we just had like those admit one tickets mm-hmm. that we got at like um i don't know office depot or whatever and somebody like figured that out and bought a roll and was selling them <laughs> outside and we're like, where are all these other people coming from which is really weird that must have been really exciting to watch everything sell out yeah it just gave us ideas of like oh this could actually be something like none of us had the intention of necessarily even doing it again mm-hmm. it was just the idea of like let's be in a proper theater see if we can get people to come out and see what happens right and have you done it every year since 2002 yeah wow the second year we just decided to grow it up bigger we moved to the uh eureka theater which is now the gateway but it's a 200 seat theater i think that might be where you that's where i did my show Yeah. yeah so um that place we still have it we love it it's an unusually great like black boxy 200 seater mm-hmm um moved there we like opened it up for other groups to submit from all over and we also somehow managed to get upright citizens brigades uh ian roberts matt besser and matt walsh to come as well as fred willard and his little sketch group called the hollywood players in la um and it kind of blew up from there we started how did you you say somehow but how did you get them to come i think we just wrote them letters 
to be honest, I don't know if we had emails or mm-hmm. whatever. I think we just put together like a, hey, we're trying this thing. You want right. to come? And they did. And we also that year and year two kind of partnered with Tom Sawyer, who ran Cobb's Comedy Club to help mm-hmm. us with booking and stuff like that, too, and advise us and things. So I think that was helpful. And we learned some hard lessons in year two. We do every year. But like we were like, you know, putting way too much money into the shows that we just weren't barely able to recoup. But um Every year we just kept learning lessons and making it a little bit bigger, adding more venues. And then four or five years in, we realized that sketch is a little too narrow of a field to do an entire festival around. So mm-hmm. we just opened it up to all things comedy mm-hmm. after that. When you say you were putting too much money into the shows, do you mean paying the performers too much or? Yeah. Well, we were just looking at like capacity stuff and be like, well, if we sold, you know, blah, 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 we'll make, but we weren't selling that. We were doing okay <laughs> because we moved up from 75 seats to 200 seats. And right. it was like, oh, Okay all right, let's, let's see if we can at least break even, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. What are some, and from the beginning, it was the three of you. Yeah. What are some other lessons you've learned over the years? Oh man. Um, gosh, every year we, we learn something, even though we've been doing it forever. We always learn something, whether it's something with the venues or the shows or transportation or hotels or whatever. Um, there's always something we learn. I'm trying to think what other stuff, and we've learned how to run shows better in mm-hmm. terms of content and like length and stuff. San Francisco is kind of a quantity town for some reason. Like they like quality, but if you give them an amazing 50 minute show, they'll be upset. Mm. You need to give them at least 75 minutes or that's interesting. It's yeah, it's weird. Um, it's sort of what that, that feeling I get when I go to see a band and they do an amazing hour, but I've had to sit through like, you know, three openers. Like <laughs> I would rather just see that amazing hour yeah. and go get some food. Right. Um, so I don't mind it to be on the shorter side if it's amazing. Um, but we've learned that, you know, people will be upset if you don't give them enough show. And like sometimes that just happens because we're told that the show is going to be 90 minutes. And then for some reason they come in at 55 minutes and then we're like, oh, okay. Oops. We <laughs> put more stuff on that show if that was the case. Right. Right. Um, if you were giving advice to someone who wanted to start, and who wanted to do a festival, what would you say? Well, make sure you're in a place that wants it, that's hungry for it. People ask us all the time what we don't do one in LA. And we're like, because every day is a festival everywhere. I mean, it's all these celebrities and big performers are playing for no money for $5 tickets somewhere. And audiences in LA are pretty apathetic to things. Um, so just make sure wherever you're doing it, there's a need for it, mm-hmm. I guess I would say. And there's definitely some towns out there that I think could definitely use it. Um, San Francisco, thankfully, was, you know, great for that kind of thing. I've often joked that if we were the Fresno Comedy Festival, it might not have gotten off the ground. <laughs> and not to say that Fresno isn't a place that is great, but um, also it helps to be in a place that performers want to come to. Right. People are like, oh, a weekend in San Francisco, great. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons this worked so well for us is the audiences are there and they're excited about the shows and they're super responsive and great. The performers love to come and hang out and perform with their friends and kind of cross-populate each other's shows. Fred Armerson once said it was like comedy summer camp, Mm -hmm. which we love. Um, And I think that's kind of how it's worked. We also don't put pressure on them to like do what you would do on a big tour. It's like come and try stuff out, you know, do different things. Let's find interesting projects to try out and see if they work. Mm -hmm. So every year we try to do that too. Yeah, I had such a good time there. Um, and just all, like, even in the airport, flying <laughs> from, I think I flew from Burbank. Did I fly from Burbank or LA? It doesn't matter. Um, just like recognizing, a, oh, oh, I know that person. I know that person. You know, it really was like a fun place to bump into a bunch of people you know or that you 
you know know of at the burbank airport it's like pretty like party airport i love that airport yeah it's like so hip and cool compared to lax in a lot of ways that like they play like cool 80s new wave (laughs) when you're in there hanging out i know between you david and janet is there um a uh a like set division of labor like you handle this you handle this there is there's a lot of crossover and the fact that like we all you know brainstorm and come up with stuff and then work together to book shows kind of split things up um but janet kind of oversees the transpo stuff i oversee the marketing and the graphic design i do a lot of the graphic design myself Mm -hmm. because graphic designers are incredibly expensive and (laughs) like i just taught myself photoshop and stuff and i was like i could save us a lot of money if i just do a lot of this stuff right they'll charge like a hundred dollars an hour or whatever and it's like oh why don't you just let me go ahead and pop in there and do it um and Dave kind of is in charge of a lot of the other stuff, a lot of the venue stuff, um, other things as well. So like we kind of helm each other's things. Uh, we also have this guy, Jay Wurzler, who's kind of the festival manager now. He's like the fourth um, beetle. Um, <laughs> I guess there's four of them. Normally. He's the fifth beetle. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Stu. Yep, he's Stu. <laughs> he's Stu Sutcliffe. He's, uh, he's great. Um, so he really helps kind of make sure all this stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of great people that return year after year to helm various departments and help with things because it's... It's a lot. There's a lot of details. And right. We definitely we're mortified when we, if ever, we feel like somebody didn't get the experience that they wanted, or they have no idea where they're supposed to go, or something. And that rarely happens. It's pretty well done now. But when it does, it's like, Ugh, oh no. So yeah, mm-hmm. we want to make sure everybody has a great time. So you guys kind of you like basically live in San Francisco for a month, right? Yeah. During I, the fest, I'm at a hotel for three weeks, door to door. What happens to your kittens that I love to look at photos of on Instagram? Well, they just stay with my wife, Jenny. But, like, she'll... Because we had two cats and then one passed, and then we got these two other kittens. Um, but in the past, this would be my first festival with the kittens now, because they're like, we got them back in April or May or June or somewhere, and then in the summer. Um, so that'll be hard. But I know she'll want to put them on FaceTime, and I'll be like, nope, don't do it. Like, it just... I would rather just not think about it because that was what would happen in the past with my other cats. As soon as you put them on FaceTime, I'd be like, ah, no, stop. <laughs> I got to work. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I'll miss them for sure. That's, what are their names? Uh, Rudy and Lucas. That's right. I named them after the underdogs of uh, football movies. Mm-hmm. Do you feel they have an underdog personality? Definitely. I think, I think Rudy does. Rudy was really tiny. He's the one, there's like a lot of photos of him like on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I called him Parrot when I first got him because he would just <laughs> pop up there. Um, and they're getting big now. But Lucas is definitely like a bigger kind of cat size. Rudy's still a little miniature scrapper. Oh. And he's super cute. He's got like the cutest face. It just kills you. And one of his eyes just won't stop watering. So it always looks like he's like got those puss in boots. Like, uh, eyes happening. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's pretty heartbreaking and amazing. Um, so when and why did you move to L.A.? So I had, I was trying to get the acting thing going to the next level. I had done, you know, kind of all you could do in San Francisco. I was on Nash Bridges <laughs> and then that folded, <laughs> did that twice. Um, and there's only a couple like national spots a year that would come through is mostly regional stuff. So I'd done a lot of regional commercials and, um, you know, whatever was shooting in town because they needed the locations I would do mm-hmm. bit parts on or whatever. Um, and I was doing a lot of improv around town at Cobbs, especially with the Riffingtons, which was like the house team that went on at the end of the three hour showcase on Wednesdays. Um, and then we would also at the new year's show, if the headliner was an improviser, which often they were at after midnight, we would do a set with the improviser doing short form games. So Greg Proops would do it or Patton or people like that. And I think it was after new year's 2002 or whatever, 2003, um, Greg Proops actually was like, why aren't you, why are you? 
aren't you in LA? You should go to LA because mm-hmm. um, improv's great. You should go down there. And I was like, uh, okay. And I think that was kind of, I was kind of thinking about it at the time. And my wife and I had broken up briefly and it was, just felt like a good time to like, all right, if it's now or never, now's the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I went down and did that and uh, I'm glad I did. It's not like the acting thing's really taken off for me. I kind of started, once the festival kind of started taking over my life, it just, I kind of was okay with like, I'll just do a lot of my comedy stuff and I'll mm-hmm. podcast. I had Pop My Culture with my podcast for like seven years with Vanessa Ragland and stuff. So I was doing that. I didn't realize that that was no more until I went to, to listen to the most recent episode and I saw that the title was the final episode yeah and that was in january of 2017 yep yeah we finally it was great for a long time but then vanessa you know had a kid and was more concentrated on that and she was just like i'm not watching movies or tv anymore and like that's a big thing is it's a pop culture discussion with her guests and stuff mm-hmm. so it, her heart really wasn't in it anymore and it was starting to feel like work a lot so it just felt like all right well let's just let's blow it out at the festival and we had paul f tompkins and sam mm-hmm. levine and rhett miller on and it was really fun and um so i miss it because i've you know i've been kind of going on podcasts lately again because it's been a while yeah um and I, I have a few things obviously the bat and then sam levine and i had a couple ideas we we're kicking around so hopefully that will come to fruition pretty soon but what kind of ideas are those um we're gonna are they comic booky <laughs> no it's actually uh something around the oscars that we're oh, gonna do so cool i think that'll be fun um and I was going to do a sketch podcast for a while, and then I was like, ah, oh, it'll be so much work <laughs> to write and produce and edit and all that stuff, too. So it kind yeah. of fell off of that. But um, yeah, so that's what brought me down to LA initially, the acting thing. And then just um, was able to, I, I think it's good that we did for the festival's sake, because Janet and I met a lot of people, and then it was easier to ask them to come up and do the festival. Mm-hmm. So I think that definitely helped. Mm-hmm. So you and your wife have been together for a long time, then, it sounds like. Yeah, a long, long time. How did you guys meet? Uh, we met at SF State. Um, I was teaching an improv thing, which she came to um, with a friend of hers, her friend of hers who actually liked me. And so that's why she went kind of as a wingman. But then we uh-huh. found we had a lot in common and we started dating from that. So we were together. We've been married for 11 years now and we were together for like 10 years before that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Is she still friends with that friend? Uh, I think on Facebook, but not. <laughs> <laughs> She's like a nurse somewhere now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why did you guys, this is where I'm delving into your personal life. Why did you guys break up briefly? Uh, you know, we met when I was 21 and she was 18. So, you know, I, I, we just wanted, I wanted to play the field a little more, I think at the time and stuff. And so we broke up for a little bit and then got back together and then, yeah, but yeah, it's been, it's been good. I think we needed those breaks a little bit too, um, in order to like grow up mm-hmm. a little bit, but yeah. So then good. when you got back together, you were living down here, right? Did yeah. You, and she came down here. Yeah. She came down like a year later. Mm-hmm. So I had a year in LA by myself, which is, they always say the first year in LA is the hardest and they're not wrong because you, it's, it's a different community. It's a different place. People want things here, you know, <laughs> not so much in other places. It's, you feel like they're not driven in San Francisco. I think it's a different thing there. Yeah. Um, but here it felt more like you go to a party here and you get used to like, now you're used to it, but people will talk to you until they figure out what you, they can do for you or right. you can do for them, yeah. so to speak. And then they'll move on. Mm-hmm. And that's just like stranger stuff. Like, obviously, once you get to know who your friends are and you're in a community, then it's a little different. But when you're just kind of going in blind places, it's a lot of networking, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. It's exhausting. Yeah. I mean, I think that like Sarah Silverman has a big party every year, which I haven't been to. But um, I remember one year that she there's a sign up that said, like, you're not allowed to ask anybody to be right. on your podcast, <laughs> which is pretty amazing because that's all it would be. Yeah. Um, so yeah i guess you gotta get used to that and figure out who your friends are and find a community which took me a little bit to do but then i did and it was fine 
I think we should do topic sombrero. Okay. So here's this is a a, a segment that I have recently brought back. Um, and people send in things that they would like us to talk about, and we pull them out of a sombrero. However, I recently moved. The sombrero is still in storage. Um, we're pulling them out of a Mrs. Claus mug. Nice. And Seasonal. These are topics that were sent in back when we used to do the segment. So we'll see how they've aged. Uh, but listeners... If you would like to send in fresh topic sombrero topics, do it. A-R-I-Y-N-B-F. It's Allison Rosen's new best friend show at gmail.com. And while I am telling you guys stuff, I'm I'm just going to cram this in right here since I meant to say it at the top. We want your suggestions for best of episodes, um, best of 2018, or what have you. If enough come in from other years, we'll do a series of best ofs. Uh, send in the episode date title and time codes of your of your favorite segments please and send those into ariymbf show at gmail.com okay let's do topics on burrow it's the topic topics on burrow we asked for topics and you sent them in it's the topic topics on burrow I've reached in and I've fluffed the topics. Now you pull one from Mrs. Claus. All right. What's the best model of pager? These are really dated. (laughs) 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 Oh, boy. Do you have any suggestions for storing my beta tapes? (laughs) (laughs) What's the best two-minute song to put at the end of a (laughs) mixtape? Should you tell your partner how many people you've slept with? Ooh. That's a good one. Hello. Um, I, I'm trying to, I feel like we did this one, but that's okay because we haven't done it with you. Um, when I was young, I think I like enjoyed having that conversation and I was very, but, but the truth is my husband and I haven't had that conversation. Like we sort of. We sort of, you know, I I am now pretty certain we have done this one. That's okay, though. It's going to be okay. We might have to pull another one, too. I can pull another. Let's just do this one, and then let's pull another one. Okay. Um, We both know each other's relationship history, but we don't know the actual specific number, which is sometimes it's weird to me, given that, like, I feel like I used to, when I was younger, I always knew, um, and it felt like a like an early conversation you have. I don't know why, but... um. But yeah, we don't actually, I don't know the specifics. What about, what do you think? I think that that matters when you're 20. Mm-hmm. I don't think it matters later, really. Why does it matter when you're 20, though? I it does, though. It's just so, everything's so dramatic then. Yeah, everything's so, it's like becomes part of your identity, I think. Right. I mean, you think you're wise, but you're not. You're right. You're 20 years old, you're drinking Midori Sours. Like, it's <laughs> It's not a, you know, I don't know. I think it's more important then when you're starting a relationship and right. that kind of stuff, too, or when you're way younger. Right. Um, I don't think it matters so much when you're older. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're older, it's just assumed that everyone's kind of, that it has a history. Right. Um, guest producer, Tony Thaxton. Hello. Hello. What do you think? I think, I, ca- I kind of agree with you guys. I think also... 
I don't think there's necessarily a blanket answer to that. I think it maybe really depends on the people. Because mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, some people some people are much more open to that discussion, and I think some people just don't want to hear that at all. Right, yeah. right. Caveat, if you were in the industry of pornography, <laughs> then you might want to uh, let them know that. Yes. But uh, otherwise, I don't think it really matters. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's pull another one. All right, Mrs. Claus, what do you got? <laughs> Age differences. Is it okay for a 35-year-old woman to date a 24-year-old guy? Mm. Well, my parents are 16 years apart. Um, my mom was 19 when she met my dad, who was 35. And they got married when she was 20-something. But, so I grew up with this model of a huge age difference. And I always fell for older guys um i think i was just sort of subconsciously recreating that thing and, and it felt like and i also always fell for guys in positions of authority or power so like professors teacher even my driving i had i had a bad for my driving school teacher and he was a real loser but um i think there was something to me that felt so like if an older person selects me it means that i'm special or something um and I think that as I got older and more comfortable with who I was and more comfortable like being seen kind of accurately by a peer, I stopped needing. I think to me that age difference is like it's a buffer. Like that person doesn't see you as clearly as maybe someone that is your same age. Um, that I did not specifically answer the question. I, I, I think 35 and 24 is okay. I think that's okay. I don't have a judgment on that. I think that for some people the age difference thing works. Um but I also think for some people, it's that they are like kind of trying to not, they're trying to hide in a way. I don't know. What do you guys think? 35, 24 doesn't bother me like 35, 18 would. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that there's, I think once you're in your, at least your mid twenties, you've grown up enough that I don't think the age difference matters so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the things that are annoying to me are when somebody's like, you know, he's st- 78 and she's 25 and that's more like okay like what are is this because he's gonna pass soon and you want that cash grab or right you guys legitimately i don't know those those are the ones that bother me because it doesn't seem like it's a legitimate thing yeah but i think if it's you know within 20 years of each other i I don't see the problem with it yeah and i think there are always exceptions like i'm saying like there can be some crazy age difference where you're like oh it works for them but in general sometimes it is like eyebrow raising tony yeah, I think um, there, there. I well, what was the exact? Was it thirty-five and twenty-four? Thirty-five, it, twenty-four. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I think it's totally fine. Mostly, uh, my wife is nine years younger than I am, mm-hmm. so that's pretty close to that. And uh, but I think, yeah, like like kind of what you were saying, like mid twenties maybe, is maybe. It's because I think people are still kind of figuring out who they are at that point, right? And so I think. If 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 one of you is 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 the, in that window, maybe it might be a little dangerous because there's, you're still kind of figuring it out, and you maybe aren't who exactly you're going to be right. yet. Well, in, in this example, she's 35 and he's 24, right? Yeah. So, is now we're speaking in generalities, but like a guy at 24, is he? He's usually not ready to stop playing the field. I would imagine he's not ready to settle down at all. Yeah, guarantee you that. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas at 35, she might be. Right. Yeah. That's the that's the caution I would issue. 
or the warning I would issue on that one is that like this is just going to be a for fun kind of thing. Well, if, especially if she wants to have kids. Like yeah. At 35, it's like you really got to start working on that. Right. Um, if it was the flip of this, then I think it would be very different. Yes. But, but yeah, 35, yeah. 24, I don't know if they're necessarily in the same place of wanting things. Right. Let's do one more. Okay. Woman's point of view on what they'd like to see on internet dating sites. Mm. You know, I stopped internet dating before um, Tinder and Bumble and all the apps. So when I was internet dating, it was like Nerve and um, OkCupid. Oh, and Match, which I never did. Um Woman's point of view on what 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 they like to see on internet dating uh, profiles. Yep. Well, I was always looking for um a sense of humor, but it can't just be the person saying they have a sense of humor. Like something sort of playful or wry, and then also like making sure the person doesn't seem creepy. In general, and you know, it, are they? Am I somewhat attracted to their photo at least? So in general, I feel like the and <laughs> I thought I had nothing to say, but it turns out I have a lot. To say. Um, if their pictures are too preening and like if they look like they are in love with themselves, then that's a turnoff. Um, but just like someone friendly who's not creepy, friendly and not creepy, I feel like is what women are looking for. I feel like there's like no way to really like there's no safety control in terms of like what people post, right? Yeah. So like you can post whatever photo, you can post whatever information, whether it's true or not. So I think that's kind of the issue is like most of the time it's not necessarily gonna be who you think it's gonna be. Which it could be fine, but half the time it doesn't work out because of that. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I wish there's a way to you know, somebody comes over and goes, all right, <laughs> yeah, yep, okay, that's you. Right. Um, it could be the guy from Catfish. There it is. Nev. Nev. Nev goes. <laughs> and make sure that you're up to snuff. Right. Did you guys do internet dating? Uh-uh. Way before that. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't even know. <laughs> right. Tony, did you? Not really. I, uh, I've been in, like, a few long-term relationships, and then um, actually when I'm... I had a v- extremely small window of I got out of a um fairly long uh, excuse me long relationship and when that ended I did get on Tinder and just kind of like checked it out there was like a discussion of like possibly meeting with one or two people and then I I met I literally met who is now my wife the same day that I broke up with my ex, like totally coincidentally. And we just started hanging out all the time because I literally moved in next door to her. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was, I thought she was cool, but we weren't a thing yet. And so I was like looking at Tinder. And then as it kind of was like, hey, maybe we should meet up. There was actually a, a time that I was supposed to meet up with someone. And then as it got closer, I was like, I canceled on her because... I just wanted to hang out with Your my neighbor. now wife. Yeah. <laughs> Did you propose like, can I borrow a cup of sugar forever? <laughs> <laughs> if only I had a time machine. Damn it. Did you have qualms about uh, dating your neighbor? Uh, I was a little worried. I was like, well, if this goes south, that could be real awkward. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. I just was like, this seems great right now. I'm just, I'm going to go with this. And it 
it worked out so like how much did you love your place that you were willing <laughs> to <laughs> not much at all <laughs> so, like, this goes out, whatever i can i can replace this yeah. yeah it was it was the the shittiest place that i've lived in and uh but it was like you know the happiest i'd been in a long time so i was like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna go with this and you, was that the day that you moved in you met her no, uh, she is also a musician, and we had a rehearsal together. And I literally, I knew that I was um, going to, I had it all planned out in my head, because it was kind of a long time coming of getting out of this one relationship. And I had finally made a decision, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it tonight. And I had to go to this rehearsal beforehand, and I was like, when I leave this rehearsal, I'm going to go home and and end this and it just so happened that at that rehearsal, I met her. And then uh, she Look found... Look at that overlap, you cheater. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> well, it just so turned out then that she then found out that because of what I was going through, I was going to need a new place to live oh. and all this. And, it, and coincidentally, the apartment next to hers had just opened. And so oh. she told me, I know you're looking for somewhere. It's so, fate. Yeah. There you go. And now you guys don't live there anymore, though, right? No, we do not live there you anymore. You just knock down a wall in between the two. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yeah, thankfully now we're we not there Now we have two anymore. kitchens. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> um, let's do Just Me or Everyone. Sometimes I ponder on Something I have thought or done Is it just me or everyone? Okay, this is where people write in with things they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me, or is it everyone? But I like to interrupt myself by announcing I'm going to start, and then bringing up something else. Um, Cole, Tony Thaxton is doing Sketchfest for the very first time That's this year. right, with uh, Don't Stop, or We'll Die, and yes. Slappy Boys. Yeah, yeah. Wow, you knew that off, See, off the top of your top head. Of Impressive. Everything. I handle a lot of that stuff. Also, I was pointing on that show with Neil and everybody setting it nice. up. So, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Love it. Don't Stop or We'll Die is Paul Rust, right? Paul Rust and Michael Cassidy, yeah. Yes. Nope. Um, and they have a song, Got a Curly Perm for My Camping Trip. Yes. Right? Mm hmm. Uh, which I know. Because it's hilarious and because my husband for like two months sang it all the time. <laughs> Their songs are ridiculously catchy. Yeah. They are so dumb and I mean that as a compliment. But. <laughs> okay, Nina Hartley says, when I see all these cute but time-consuming recipes online or what people on social media have, have made, I think, I can't do that shit. I have a toddler running around. Must be nice to have all that free time. Well, I don't know that I specifically think that, but... um. But I relate to that. What about you guys? Do you make fancy foods? Time consuming? Not dishes? so much anymore. I used to. Like back in the college days, like mm -hmm. I would learn a couple of recipes and be like, oh, I'm making tortellini or whatever. But now it's just, I make tortellini, but it's just <laughs> throwing it in a pot and throwing some sauce on it. Right. I tend to, you know, eat most of my meals out. Um, do you have an instant, either of you have an instant pot or do you know what it is? No and no. Mm -mm. Oh my gosh. I only I feel like I've had this peripheral knowledge of an instant pot for a while because a lot of people talk about them online, um, but I've only recently become quite aware of what it is. It is a pressure cooker. It's like a bunch of different gadgets in one. I'm not sponsored by them. Um, it sounds like I am. It's a bunch of different gadgets in one. So it's like a pressure cooker, a slow cooker, a crock pot. I don't know if that's the same as it. Like does a bunch of things, and people are are like evangelical about their instant pots 
Hmm. If you search a hash, the hashtag instant pot on Instagram, like a whole bunch of shit will come up. Um, so my big question is like, do I need one of these? I don't if, think I do. If you want a sous vide or meat. Well, I have a sous vide. Well, there you go. So maybe it's redundant. I don't know. Apparently like it's much faster if, it, I don't know. It cooks, because sous vide is kind of a long, can take a while. Yeah. But the instant pot is really fast. I mean, I have a s- slow cooker, a crock pot or whatever. So every once in a while you'll make soup or something and your apartment smells like soup for a day and it's neat. But that's, <laughs> that's kind of it. I want that. Yes. I want that soup smell. <laughs> um, okay. Patrick Thorne. How did no one call out Allison for her pronunciation of Margarita on the Thursday show? It's Margarita, right? I think I said Margarita. Yeah, I've always heard Margarita. Margarita. I think that's correct. Yeah. I I said Margarita and Margaritaville. And a fun thing about podcasting, I'm sure you guys have found out, is if you say anything the wrong way, people definitely like to let you know. Um, so I got a few tweets about it. I don't know how no one pointed it out in the room, but now I'm well aware that I said it wrong. My apologies. <laughs> Growing up, there's a street uh, near where we lived called Marguerite, and I think that's, I think in my brain, they're like one word. Um, okay, Nina Hartley says, ooh, another Nina, and I mean another Nina Hartley submission. I love it when the person who's telling a joke can't finish the joke because they're laughing too hard at it themselves. How do you guys feel about that? I like it. Well, I like that she likes it because often I'm that person. But I also feel like it's a little bit unprofesh. If you're telling a joke that's premeditated that you've told before, I don't love it as much. If you're it dis- seems contrived. If you're discovering something on the spot and then the idea of it is like really strikes you as funny and you're trying to get the thought out, that I like a lot. Yeah. That I think is really funny. But when you're just delivering something for the 20th time, you should be able to get through it. Right. Right. Yeah, I think I feel the same way. Is she talking literally from as a a comedian doing this or just a person? I think she this? means just a person. Okay. Yeah. Um I feel like sometimes on the podcast I'll be about to say something that I thought of in the moment, but it'll strike me as so funny that and I don't think she's talking about me, but it'll strike me as so funny that like I kind of have trouble getting it out. But then I worry that like that makes it seem like I'm really pleased with myself. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I really got a zinger. I really cracked myself up. Um, in improv, how do you feel when people break on stage? I love it. If it's earned. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's it's sort of like when you're watching SNL and, like, Fallon starts cracking up immediately. And you're like, come on, dude, just get through a sketch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, but when you're doing it on stage and you just find something super stupid and funny and it just strikes you as really funny, like, when you start to break, that's great. There's certain people that, like, never break or rarely break. And if you can get them to break then you just like you love that joy of it Mm -hmm. so yeah i think it's great i think it's fun i think the audience really feeds in on it right Mm -hmm. it can happen too like in sketches when sketches go a little wrong like i direct the west side sketch company at at the west side comedy theater and we were doing a show this last month where there was a sketch where this character is like he's the valtrex guy and he's on a date at a, a restaurant but it turns out he's this wonderful guy and a thing that's supposed to happen is you hear like a crash and she goes my baby and throws this baby on stage and he catches it and he's like oh right place right time but she threw the baby and it didn't get anywhere near him 
<laughs> so of course he like everybody kind of broke and just struggled to get through the rest of the set because then he was just like well, right place right time like <laughs> trying to get through and it was great because it was a total screw up but like they all kind of just soldiered on it was funny but it wasn't like they just broke because i can't get through the goofiness of it it's something right. completely unexpected happened and it was impossible to not laugh and everybody was losing it so it was good right Shmoo says, whenever we get a notice that dogs aren't allowed in our building, I always wonder if someone heard me watching dog videos and assumed I have one. <laughs> I, I mean, I love that. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you're not the only one. Yeah, my landlord thinks I have a soldier coming home all the time. Because <laughs> those are the dog videos I watch. So. Fart girl. ASMR and ASMR-like sounds drive me, as D. Quants would say, that's my, that's my husband, fucking mental. It's not satisfying or soothing, but infuriating. Are you guys familiar with ASMR? Mm-mm. I am. What does it stand for? Uh, it's like audio or, sensory... I forget the So other. ASMR, I think it was Nikki Glaser who introduced me to it. Certain people are are really... Turned on is the wrong word, but like they get this like warm, fuzzy feeling when they hear certain sounds, like really quiet. Like oftentimes it's like the ultimate example is Bob Ross, like watching Bob Ross and hearing his like gentle, like really hushed. And oftentimes it's like someone's like they're whispering and you hear their mouth sounds, which is kind of gross. And they're like whispering into a mic (laughs) or it's like uh, someone like making tea and it's like the sound of like a whole Japanese tea ceremony. It's like the sound of the clothing brushing against this and the water pouring. And it's like, or like someone playing with magic sand. There's a, it's a whole, there's like a bazillion ASMR. Like a rain stick. I don't, probably, or like fingers tapping the mic or something. It's really weird. Like I, I, it doesn't do anything for me. It, I mean, actually I sort of like watching the, the playing with the magic sand kind of stuff. But in general, that like, that like someone really close to the mic, like like they're whispering. I'm kind of like, ah, get this feels smothering, and I don't want to hear your saliva in your mouth. Um, I'll tell you what people don't like to hear is people eating on a they podcast. Don't, no, but I feel like for <laughs> ASMR, for people into ASMR, they might be into that. But in general, no eating. People well, don't then like listen that. to the David Wayne episode of Pop My Culture <laughs> Podcast, what was where he eating? ate a burrito. Oh no, because he had just gotten there and was starving, and we were like, "Oh, I guess we need to start." And then after the fact, like, "Okay, we learned that lesson. We won't do that again." Did you get a huge response? There's a bunch of people that are mad about it. And I was yeah. like, "Okay, I'll refund your free." <laughs> <laughs> so, or just start ten minutes in when he's done with his burrito. Yeah, can you pull up an ASMR video? Just anything random. Yeah, anything where the audio would. All right, this is one that says it's a ear massage. Oh, God. <laughs> I already hate it. Our <laughs> annual sale will get you the red. Oh, I love it. This is a turn on. <laughs> I'll play this again. Get away, Satan. I do not like it. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my god <laughs> i can't paul is dead <laughs> <laughs> Someone's getting beamed. Do you want me to play the entire uh, two hour and 48 no. minute? <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. That was... Uh, find one of like a woman yeah, I talking. Will, I will say, I uh, I actually do enjoy some of the... I think some are, are really well... Mm-hmm. That was uh, that one didn't... Uh, that guy's voice do. was so off-putting. Yeah. Just relax. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> Trust your ears to me. (laughs) All right. Little intro here. What's this one called? Uh, This is um, Ultimate Head and Scalp Massage Role Play. (laughs) My name is Heather Feather. I'm going to give you the ultimate scalp massage. This is a four-step process. I just hate it. (laughs) Do do you guys enjoy this? Not at all. Well, this this intro part, I'm not. But I I will say that uh, yeah, there. I have found ones that if if you if you do it with headphones and you're relaxed enough, uh, I have I have watched some of the Mm -hmm. like scalp massage ones, and it it it, it, you you can get tingly and right and uh and i have heard that it's it's a thing that maybe it doesn't work for everyone mm. like literally it's something you get or you don't right so. you know what actually what noise i would listen to for a while is like the old record oh yeah that's a suit that's probably an asmr type sound that i like because this also reminds you of growing up and playing mm-hmm. records and stuff like that too so like that's that, that's like, a sound I would enjoy. Yeah. yeah yeah um what I find with a lot of these is that it mimics what you would hear if someone were right in your ear, and then it's just like it's too intimate. I mean, if if it was like someone yeah. right there, then that's different. If somebody was right in my ear, going <gasps> just relax, <laughs> I would run away <laughs> yeah. as fast as possible. Yeah. Ugh. Uh. So yeah, I don't I don't get the warm tingly. Um, okay, Wando says I don't pull out of the driveway until I have the right song queued up. Just mirror everyone. No, I I tend not to dilly dally in my driveway. I like to get my song situation queued up while I'm driving, which is very dangerous. Especially if I have any sort of frustration of like, ah, my navigation isn't connecting to my speaker and also I'm trying to get a podcast going and like, I've had to stop myself. I, I have to just go like, okay, I'm, this is going to be a ride in silence because it's not worth getting in an accident over. That makes sense. I use a iPod Classic that I play off of my car, which is like one of those like 160 gigs I have a ton of music on my you know, laptop. Uh-huh. And those are impossible to get now because Apple does not make them anymore. So I'm like dreading the day when it dies. <laughs> but like I have playlists or whatever and it'll just be playing and then I can change it through my Subaru's navigation stuff if I need to. Mm-hmm. But um, I stopped like starting to play it immediately because I have to pull out of a carport that's kind of blind where the sidewalk is. 
and it was never a problem before. I just pull out slowly because if there's people walking or whatever, I can see them, whatever. But now idiots on birds come like flying down on their scooters and I'm just afraid I'm going to pull out and they're just going to smack into me. Yeah. It's like I don't want to have any loud music playing until I know that like I'm clear <laughs> of that, um, which makes me crazy. Those birds like make me nuts. Those mm-hmm. scooters and stuff. I start, I kick them over if they're in the middle of a pathway. <laughs> it makes me nuts. <laughs> have you ever ridden one? They seem dangerous to I me. I have not. I just don't see the point in it because most of the time it's like i'll just walk to the place that a lot of people are taking scooters to or i have my car and i just drive or i take a lyft or an uber or whatever mm. but i don't know like it's just adding another thing to cut in and out of stuff i don't know eh, i don't like it and people just have no respect for whatever they they don't it's like deadwood out there like there's no law to them like they're trying to regulate <laughs> them now but like you know, you're supposed to wear a helmet. You're supposed to be in the street or whatever. But it's just like people like there's two people on it zooming fast on a sidewalk. Yeah. They're like, excuse me, coming by. You're like, I'm on the sidewalk, not the side ride. Like, why? <laughs> why am I now the person that needs to watch out? Because I'm just walking down the sidewalk. Yeah. Like, and then they just leave them in the middle of the pathways or whatever, like the middle of a sidewalk thing. We're like, well, if somebody's coming through in a wheelchair, they would have no way of getting past now. So good job. Mm-hmm. Like, at least put them off to the side against a tree or something. Like, don't put them in the middle of the only walkway just makes me crazy tony passionate thoughts on bird scooters or or not pat or dispassionate uh yeah more more on that end i i don't have strong opinions on them i've i've never been on i i feel like i still haven't even like witnessed them that oh really yeah i don't know maybe that says a lot about how little i do but um, (laughs) they're everywhere on the west side of yeah it seems like they're much more over there which i don't end up that side of town as much Yeah. yeah i feel like many of this sounds like a real prejudicial statement, and I don't mean for it to. However, I feel like many of the Los Angeles annoyances are more focused on the West Side. Discuss amongst yourself. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I don't know. I have issues with every side of town. Um, I mean, I like the West a lot. I've lived there pretty much the entire time I've been here. I lived in Brentwood, and I live in Century City. Um, so it's nice. It's a little more spread. It's a little cooler out, you know? Like, That's when it gets true. really hot in the summer, it's a yeah. lot cooler, which I like a lot. Um, but yeah, those those scooters are, those are a pain. Maybe it's just the driving from the east side to the west side that's... I guess Hard. it depends on which way you're going and when. Yes. Um, because of where we live, if I'm coming over here, like it's not hard for me at certain times of day mm-hmm. or whatever. If I'm heading west from, you know, central or whatever, it's easy too. Like, because I do this show once a month called Pretty Pretty Pony at Westside where we have a guest monologist. And it's at 10 o'clock on a Monday, which sounds like a drag to get people to come out to, but it's always packed. But also when I'm trying to get monologists out, I'm always telling them like, there will be no traffic. Mm. If you're leaving at nine o'clock from wherever, you can get to there in 20 minutes. Like, that's what's beautiful about LA after a certain time. Right. What previously took an hour and 10 minutes takes 20, mm-hmm. 25 minutes, which is pretty amazing. And lastly, James Leroy Wilson says, I know Allison Rosen can't read this as a just mirror everyone, but why are CBS affiliate news and weather <clears throat> so much better than NBC, ABC, and Fox rivals, no matter where you live? Just knowing to have the weather warning scroll at the bottom instead of the top. Geez. Well, James Leroy Wilson, I can and did read it on the show. Dang. But uh, I don't I don't know that I've noticed that CBS is better. I feel like I have this weird loyalty to NBC because they aired Facts of Life, which was my favorite show <laughs> as a child, <laughs> and also Family Ties. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do, do you guys have a, a network loyalty? 
Or do you or do you find this have you noticed what he's saying? <laughs> no, not at all. If anything, I'm a little more on your end of I feel like I remember my parents watching the local NBC news and that I don't know. And I remember we we li- grew up in Michigan and then moved to Virginia and they did the same thing. I feel like watched the NBC news there and now I just I don't think I really watch local news. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really either because everything is just like, this sucks, this also sucks, like just constantly. <laughs> and here's a nice, wonderful story. These kittens died. What? It's just, it's awful. Like, I can't stand it. Yeah. And I just get my weather from my uh, apps on my phone, which are often wrong, but whatever. Like, that can just tell if it's supposed to rain or something. Right. Um, Network-wise, I mean, I know that we're in peak TV right now, which is like, made me not want to watch anything because I, <laughs> I can't keep, I was like, everything, like, oh, there's their series just dropped, all 26 episodes, watch right. them now. <laughs> And there's no water cooler, so where are you going to talk about this stuff anymore? You know, there's like a handful of shows that everybody's watching, but it's rare now. Mm -hmm. So, network-wise, like, yeah, I guess, like, NBC would be the one that, like, I have the fondest memories of, you know, growing up watching and stuff uh, with Musty TV and, you know, back when it was Family Ties and Cosby and all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you shouldn't say that now, but at the time, (laughs) that show was great. Right. Um, Yeah, but I have not noticed weather-wise... I do think it's it's great that we have like a meteorologist named Dallas Rains. I mean, that's <laughs> that is that is special. That's pretty amazing. He has an, uh, he has a fantastic tan. Have you noticed? He does. Yeah. He's a man of deep pigment. What is he? Which channel is he on? I I know of him, but I don't know if he's CBS or NBC. Or I, don't I don't know. I just yeah, it's the same thing. You just notice that name, and I forget everything else. Yeah, I always feel like they have to make the meteorologists kind of like the game show hosts of their of those programs, right? You know, I think like, they are the wacky zany ones, right? They got to have a weird personality or crazy name or whatever. They can't just like give you the you know weather. They've got to have something to it, right? Um, so to circle back to the bat improv in the dark, yeah. Have you guys recorded all the episodes? We have, yeah. So they all got released on Audible. There's nine episodes, I think, mm. eight or nine. Uh, which range from like 15 to 20 minutes each. So they're pretty easy. And if you're an Amazon Prime member, they're free. If you have Audible or whatever, so you can pop on there and get them. Excellent. Um, Tell everyone what else they should be looking out for. Well, if you're in the Bay Area in January, January 10th (laughs) through the 27th, it's our 18th annual SF Sketch Fest. Um, It's like we got Carol Burnett this year, which is like super stoked about. We've asked for a few years, and she's just never been able to, and this is the year that it worked out, so that's fantastic. That's so cool. And there's over 270 shows over 18 days, so there's something for everybody, and they range from, like, you know, $10 to, you know, 100 for something massive, but, like, most of those tickets are around 25 30 bucks, so it's not bad. Um, do you ever get intimidated reaching out to people? <clears throat> Definitely. I mean, I think most of the time we have to go through agents and managers and stuff, and they, they can't. They're not easy a lot of the time. Um, but most of the time, like we just kind of, we send an invitation letter that just kind of says like, Hey, we're grassroots. This is where this thing started. We still are, you know, um, we've, all these other people have done it. It's gotten easier now because we've had so many amazing guests that it's been easier to be like, here's a laundry list of great people that have done it. So you should be part of that, that kind of thing too. And so it's a little easier to get responses and we have agents and managers pitching to us now versus where we used to have to beg you know people to try to come out so are there any like white whales like people that you have wanted well i mean i guess carol burnett kind of was one but are there any people who you just can't get that you really want to because i feel like oh 
you guys get so many big people. Yeah, there always are. I mean, Albert Brooks is my personal hero, so I would love to get him, but he's one of those that doesn't like to look back on things, you know, mm-hmm. so he's not that excited about coming and like having a retrospective or just talking about whatever. So right. we ask every year, but it's never worked out. Um, obviously, Monty Python, because that's tough. We've had Terry Jones, um, who now sadly is battling dementia and stuff, but it was great to have him, but we haven't had any other Pythons, so we'd love to do that. Um, we finally got Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy this year, which is uh, great. So we'd love wow. to do like a big SCTV thing one day. Um, I'm sure there's more, but, um, at this point we've had so many of our heroes. It's been pretty amazing. Yeah. I and mean, the kids in the hall meant a lot to us coming up because we named our group after a line from their 2000 tour program that said it was something like somebody's bio. It said like rumors that he was gay, totally false people. And that's where we <laughs> took totally false people from. Right. Um, and so that meant a lot to us. But first we got like Bruce to come and do a solo show. And then we got Dave to come and do something. And Scott to do something. And then we finally got them all like in year six or something, six or seven. And that for us was like, oh my God, we've got our heroes here. And then after that, it just felt like anything was possible. Right. Have you been disappointed by anyone? Like, oh wow, that person's a real jerk. I'm sure we have. Um, most people are great. I think most people come and they understand what they're getting into. Um, some don't. Um, occasionally we've dropped the ball on something and, and it's led to you know, repercussions, so to speak. But for the most part, everybody's been pretty fantastic. And if we honestly, if we hear if somebody has a terrible reputation ahead of time, like, oh, they're terrible to people or whatever, we just don't even pursue it. We don't, we don't care. Like we have so much stuff going on that we can't deal with somebody who's a tornado, you know, right. we just won't. It's just not worth it to us. Right. So there, I'm sure there's definitely people that are like, you know, the big headliner types that are like, oh, well, it's going to come with all this stuff. And we'll be like, eh, let's not, <laughs> let's not bother. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So the website for Sketchfest or where they can buy tickets. Yeah. Just go to sfsketchfest.com. Everything's on there. Or just, you know, Google SF Sketchfest or San Francisco Sketchfest. You'll find it. But that's where everything is. Excellent. And, um, I have another podcast called Childish, which is my irreverent parenting podcast, but you don't have to have kids to enjoy it, that I do with Greg Fitzsimmons, and that is at childishpod.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe, leave a review, etc. I'm on Twitter at Allison Rosen, Instagram at Allison Rosen, and also I have a book out, Tropical Attire and Courage and Other Phrases That Scare Me. If you go to allisonrosen.com, there's plenty of places to click. It'll take you right to Amazon where you can get it's available in all formats tony would you like to plug anything oh sure uh i you know i'll just hop on the bandwagon and say come to Sketchfest and come see uh don't stop or we'll die in the sloppy boys do you know what date you are yet i believe it's january 19th yeah it's a saturday night i think at 10 at the swedish american hall look at that it's yeah, very off the top it's he was impressive. looking at no notes or anything yeah i'm pretty good at knowing the schedule at this point <laughs> yeah <laughs> And I just want to leave you guys with this. Just relax. Just relax. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show, Cole. This was great. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Rosen is your new best friend.